then hit the uh, what's that blue thing? Face. Hello, that, that should be headphones. Do you hear anything? No. Hello there. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the producers here on the RFK tapes. As you could probably hear, we've spent a little bit of time away from the studio. Oh, wait, there we go. Now I, now, now I'm hearing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But we're back getting reacquainted with it. And that's because we've got a very cool new project on the horizon, which we will tell you about soon. But uh, recently, Zach and I were packing up a lot of our RFK tapes and books. And we just got to talking about the case, as we always would. Today on the show, Jesse and I take a deep dive back into the RFK case to tie up some of the loose ends that uh, we've gotten some questions about. But a word of warning, I'd recommend listening to the show before this episode, um, because I'm not sure much of this will make sense. We're going to talk through the Rosicrucians, the girl in the polka dot dress, and of course, extra bullets. How's it going, man? Very good. It's been a while. It's been a while. I spent some time away from this. How was it to clear your mind of the RFK? I've well, you go first. How how has it been not to be thinking about this? Yeah, it was good. I think it felt healthy not to think about this. Not that I was consciously purging it from my mind, but definitely leaving it behind, which is n- not the easiest thing to do. And did you leave it behind or no? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's a funny thing, right? I just think when you f- when you finish anything, there's this experience of going from, like, the possibilities of what it might have been and all the excitement and all that stuff, and then the reality of what it became. You know, when we started, I didn't know how it was going to end. I didn't know what, the, what we were going to find. And I didn't know anything about this story. So there's this whole excitement to learning all this information that is really quite shocking. The autopsy doesn't match the witness testimony. You know, there's evidence of too many bullets and the LAPD destroyed a bunch of evidence. I mean, there's a way to look at this case where you really come away thinking there was a massive conspiracy here. You know, and then gradually, for me, that stuff sort of faded away. The, the more I learned beyond that, I sort of started to think, uh, maybe it is as simple as they're saying. Yeah, it's not, it's not really a conversation starter. Like, what do you know about the RFK case? Oh, that didn't this guy Saran Saran do it? Yeah, that, that's it. I mean, that's <laughs> like, you know, you <laughs> Which was not the conversation I was having with family and friends at the beginning of this, when I said that I was working on a project about the RFK assassination, obviously it was, you know, I was saying, well, do you know about this? Do you know about these extra bullets, these yeah. photos of them? Do you know about the um, hypnosis and, you know? Open your eyes and look at Kennedy. Open your eyes and look at Kennedy. It's still shocking. I mean, there's parts of the case that are still shocking. Yeah. Regardless of what you believe in terms of conspiracy theory related stuff or not, it, it is a fact that Sirhan Sirhan was hypnotized in his jail cell by these psychiatrists. On tape. On tape, right? and, they, I mean, and, and, and it's on tape. Then open your eyes and look at Kennedy. 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 Open your eyes and look at
at Kennedy. <laughs> and it's some of the weirdest stuff you've ever heard in your life. There he is. Here on open your eyes. <laughs> Are they choking you, Sam? <laughs> now I'll count to three and you wake up. So remember it all. You understand, Sir Han? Sir Han, do you understand? Sam, can you hear Dr. Pollard talking to you? And the fact that he writes the Rosicrucians when he's under hypnosis, remember, he, 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 he writes A-M-O-R-C. Uh, uh, that blew my mind. Yeah, do you know what a morgue means? Yes, you do. I know what it means, too. Rosicrucians. He wrote down Amorc. You know, I remember when I first heard that, and it's like, holy shit, did the Rosicrucians like hypno program Sirhan Sirhan um are they this like evil force this evil secret society um but then when we spoke to Jesse Walker um that conspiracy theory sort of expert this this researcher author who's written and studied a bunch of conspiracy theories over, throughout American history. And when I was looking at his book, Rosicrucians are all over it. Tell me about the Rosicrucians. They come up in this, uh, in our story. So I was surprised to but see them. But they're actually a force for good. People always think of conspiracies as up to something evil, right? But there is this long tradition also of thinking about um, some sort of secret society or, or other sort of force, you know, angelic or extraterrestrial that's working behind the scenes to help humanity. And so the Rosicrucians have generally been inserted into that role. Fathers and sorors, you may now open your eyes. But um, the original Rosicrucian society was almost certainly a, 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 a hoax. People were producing these pamphlets about what they would like human society to aspire to. There was not actually some sort of um, society. But it's just interesting how something that was generated in this completely different um, cultural context um, has been regularly adapted in America. So then it's like, well, were the Rosicrucians the way that the CIA found their Manchurian candidate? That's then the question. That's the leap that some people go to. I don't believe that. I think that the Rosicrucians were kind of just a group of people selling self-help shit, I don't think that they had anything to do with the murder of Kennedy. And we have to, we also have to square this with the John Fahey story. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about the Fahey story? Because that's, I, I would say that was one of the most shocking, crazy tapes for me was to hear him. Yeah, yeah. So John Fahey was that uh, salesman who ran into a girl the morning of RFK's assassination. He sounds very reliable, and yeah. he mentions this woman at the ambassador talking about getting Kennedy. She was the one who came right back and said that if I was to come to the winning reception that night, I would see that they, Mr. Kennedy would be taken care of. And he also s seemingly totally organically brings up she was talking about this Rosicrucian stuff and for me I was like Whoa. she mentioned an organization which later I thought of Rosicrucian or something of this nature yeah I think John Fahey did meet a girl 
Um, maybe she even told him that they were going to knock off Kennedy that night. I don't believe that she was talking about Rosicrucians. Um, I think he got that from Fernando Faura, a journalist. And if you pull out the tape, the fr- he actually mentions a different organization first. Much later, I thought of it. Something that was like, uh, I thought, like, Rook. And then he says, through Fernando, I thought of Rosicrucians. Fernando, we have found out that, uh, and I remember what she had said, Rosicrucian or something of this nature. So I kind of think it was confirmation bias. Um, There's certain things about his description that doesn't match. Who knows? I don't think we'll ever be able to know. But I have, I think that's reason to suspect that he might have been mistaken. Okay, so maybe, maybe Fahey was mistaken, but I'm curious what you think more generally about the whole girl in the polka dot dress. The famous girl in the polka dot dress. Very famous, notably seen... Uh, by Sandra Serrano, the RFK campaign worker. This girl came running down the stairs in the back, came running down the stairs and said, we've shot him, we've shot him. And I said, who did you shoot? And she said, we shot Senator Kennedy. She had on a white dress with polka dots. I believe that Sandra Serrano is telling the truth. And I believe that she, she saw some version of what she says she saw. Um... And I think what the police did to her is pretty inexcusable, uh, just in the way, like, how, how to treat a witness. You can't see it with your lips. You can see it, but with your feeling, your heart, your soul, you've told me here. These are lies. This story is a lie. This didn't happen. It's not accurate to say that the cops didn't take the sighting of the girl in the polka dot dress seriously. They did take it seriously. Um, You can hear almost every cop the night of the murder ask the witnesses a few things, one of which is... Did you at any time see a female in a black and white polka dot dress? A female Caucasian in a black and white uh, polka dot dress attired in a white dress with black polka dots. The experience of listening to that and wondering what they're going to say is like something else. I mean, I remember when we would get these tapes in the California State Archives and you're like hearing the hiss and in my mind it's like late at night and dark and like you're hearing like, what happened, you know, did you, and did you see her? This is real important. Did you see a girl in the polka dot dress? No. No. No, I didn't see No. no. Alright. No, I don't no, know. No, So, there's only one witness that puts her in the pantry. There's other people that are in the kitchen at that time who see Sirhan, who also should have seen her, right? One of them is Jesus Perez. Jesus Perez, busboy who worked for the ambassador. And in his tape, he's very clear that he saw Sirhan before the before the shooting. He says Sirhan was standing in the kitchen. He was talking with us. He was alone. And Jesus and Sirhan have an interaction. Uh, Sirhan asks Jesus, is Mr. Kennedy coming through here? Can he come to pass through here? I don't know. And uh, Jesus says, I don't know. How I tell to him. Now he's the one, this guy that asked you, is Mr. Kennedy going to pass through here? He's the one that ultimately had the gun in his hand and was... Yeah, he was was the same. And the one that did the shooting. Yeah. The cops even try, like, the clever stuff they do. Where it's like... Did I understand you say that he was with a a girl here? No, no, I don't see no girl. So it's like the cops 
might have had a reason to dismiss the sightings of the girl in the polka dot dress. Okay, so you don't you don't believe there was a girl in the polka dot dress. But I'm curious where your thinking is at with the extra bullets, the muzzle distance, the security guard. Oh yeah, the easy stuff. Curious where you're at with that. Oof. Zach responds after the break. You know, honestly, I was thinking that Caesar could have been Caesar could have been earlier in the season. Like maybe Caesar should have come like around episode four or five so that you would have more of a picture of like a second gun, you know, because we did the second gun theory without a suspect. Right. And there was a suspect. Yeah. And I think Caesar, having myself come into this case and seeing other producers and people that worked on the show come into this case, Thane Caesar, for those who don't remember, is the security guard who was standing directly behind RFK at the time he was shot admittedly had a gun on him right. and pulled it out right. in the moments after Kennedy was shot. You know, you learn that the autopsy about where the bullets entered Kennedy's body and that there were these powder burns on the back of Kennedy's neck, so it seemed like the gun that killed him had to have been inches away and likely from behind just because of where the bullets entered, and then you find out that I, a lot of eyewitnesses don't really put Sirhan that close. Yeah. And then you come to find out there's this security guard who was in, by his own admission, was in that exact place. I was right behind him all the way down to uh, where the steam table was. Now, at that time, I just happened to look up, and that's when I seen all I could see was an arm and a gun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I reached for mine. Thane Caesar's been the primary suspect for the second gunman since 1972, I think, when um, Ted Chirac's movie came out, The Second Gun. And in it, a whole bunch of suspicious stuff uh, came out about Caesar. Uh, He was one of the only witnesses who didn't testify at the trial. At his request, Caesar was never asked to take the witness stand. I told him, if it's all possible, I just need not be involved. And there was this whole thing about what kind of gun Caesar had. Originally, he told the cops that he had a 38 caliber gun the night of the murder and that he didn't own a 22. But then it came out later. Did Caesar own a 22 caliber gun the night of the assassination? Oh, a month after that, I had a little 22, H&R 22, just like the one that was used on Bobby. And you still have your 22? No, I don't have a 22 anymore. You sold it? I sold it. There was this whole question of when Caesar had sold his, actually sold his 22, and he lied about it. Yeah. He lied about it in a way that's really suspicious. He told the police that he had sold a 22, his 22 before the shooting of Bobby Kennedy. So he, he, he didn't even own a 22 at the time Bobby Kennedy was shot. But then Ted Chirac finds out that he lied about this. Right. He sold his 22 a few months after the shooting. Right. To a guy named Jim Yoder. Uh, tell me about this receipt. On the day of September the 6th... This is him reading the receipt he got from Caesar. $15 from Jim Yodler. With the item involved is an H&R 22 pistol. Signed, 
in Caesar. And Yoder actually had like a, like a kind of a creepy story of an interaction that he had had with Caesar when he bought the gun. Right. Right, and he told that too. And he told Chirac that, that Caesar had said... He had went to the aid of an officer. This was the way it was told to me, that he was driving home from when he'd served his shift as a guard, but he had seen this officer in trouble, and he went to his aid. He, he, he made the statement something to the fact that he had, uh, he had fired shots. I presumed at the criminal that they had cornered. It seems really incriminating and yeah. really and really nefarious. Like, oh my God, this is it. But then you have to put your take a step back and think about how human behavior actually works. Let's say this is a guy who accidentally shot RFK and knows he accidentally shot RFK. Right. He's not going to say that. He's not going to. He's not going <laughs> to say anything. He's not going to sell this gun to anyone. He's not going to write a receipt, and he's not going to be like, "Be careful." You know that gun is is you know toxic, getting yeah. destroyed and 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 never mentioned again. Yeah, I mean that's basically what Caesar says to Moldea when he brings it up to him, which he does. Moldea Moldea asks Caesar about this. The LAPD interview. You had told them that you had sold the gun to Yoder prior to the murder. And it was after the murder. And it was, and then, and then, was after and then they, they, then it was after the murder on September. And 6th. I even told them that on the, okay. on the next. Time. Okay, and this is a copy of the receipt uh, for for Yoder that you right. signed. Now the thing I can't understand is if you killed Bob Kennedy, why would you, you know, uh, put in writing? I mean, I would, I would go out if I killed somebody. I would take that gun in seconds. I would, I would be, you know, yeah. chopping that gun apart and throwing That's it into right. the ocean. And here you are selling it to a guy. And leaving a receipt for it. And telling him where I sold it to and where he lived. I even told him where he lived. There's a lot of people who believe this is the murder weapon. Good. So Caesar did some suspicious stuff, but it didn't really seem to me that like he was the second gunman. It didn't seem like he was an assassin. He was the security guard stationed in the pantry, and it just so happened that RFK's route was changed... After the speech, he was supposed to go a different way. He didn't go that way, and he turned back and went uh, into the pantry, and that's why Caesar was the guy to lead him through the pantry. That, And that decision to change the route, that was always pretty interesting to me. Because if it's a conspiracy, then that route change is a nefarious thing. But that route change wasn't a nefarious thing. Would you state your name, sir? Frederick Dutton, D-U-T-T-O-N. Frederick Dutton was RFK's campaign manager, had worked for the Kennedys for years and years, and he, him and Bill Barry, who was Kennedy's bodyguard, changed the route. Uh, while the senator was speaking, Barry and I went <clears throat> to look to see what would be the route to take him uh, from the stage to where he went next. Uh, there was one possibility of his going off to the right of the stage. Uh, however, uh, in order to avoid a further crowd, we decided to take him off the left or back of the stage. And Barry and I, uh, while the senator was speaking, walked that route through the hallway where the, the shooting finally occurred. So it's like, if this is a conspiracy and, and, and the, there's this massive plan to kill Robert Kennedy in the kitchen pantry of the Ambassador Hotel, it's just listening to Frederick Dutton talk about it, it just feels so random that he was even coming out that way. 
it doesn't f- so or you have to believe that somehow Frederick Dutton and Bill Barry are are in on it or one of the two of them is in on it and they deliberately maliciously changed the route. And so it's just these things stacking on on top of each other that as you learn more and more and as you get deeper and deeper, the conspiracy theory gets harder and harder to believe. It does get harder to believe, but but the thing that you're always left with no matter how much you look into this is this extra bullet thing. Oh, the extra bullet thing, which yeah. Is, which is so hard to dismiss it's or explain so away. Yeah. You know, the, the more you try to explain away the extra bullets, the more you start sounding like a conspiracy <laughs> theorist yourself in, in, <laughs> right. in a way because there's this picture, and we dealt with this in the episode, of – Two police officers on the yeah. night of the shooting standing by this door jam in the kitchen pantry of the Ambassador Hotel pointing at what looks to clearly be circled bullet holes, circled right. as evidence. Right. Um, and, of course, if those were in fact bullet holes, then there were more bullets fired than That's Sirhan right. had had in his eight-shot revolver. Right. And I just – I don't have any – I don't know – Let's really say that. Sure. I, 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 I'm sort of like, I, you know, I throw my hands up at this one because. Yeah. Well, on the one hand, I remember when we first got into it, I thought maybe there was that Caesar had accidentally fired or or, or, or Caesar had fired and that would explain some of the extra bullets or, or another gunman returning fire, not in a malicious way, not in like somebody trying to right. assassinate Kennedy, but just somebody returning fire. The issue is a little bit there behind Kennedy in Sirhan's line of fire mm-hmm. as opposed to somebody that would be shooting at Sirhan. Yeah. Um, so well, I, think, I don't yeah, I'm curious. Do you really think, have Do you a, think there are bullets? Or, do you think there are bullets in those holes or no? I, I guess I don't think there were bullets in those holes. Um, so explain that. It's really suspicious because, like we said, there is a photograph of two seemingly bullet holes. There's an FBI report that says there were bullet holes. So clearly people thought there were bullet holes. Were they right? I hate to be facetious, but eventually if I keep coming up with bullets, the question is going to be not how many guns were there, but who were the members of the firing squad? There are extra, extra bullets that are also circled and there are too many bullets even for the second gun theory. So there is like something like, I don't know how many, but a bunch. So clearly some of the bullets, some of those things that were identified that night as bullets were not bullets. And so it, it, it's possible to me that they cut the thing out of the wall, got it debt back to the, the place and said, you know, fuck, there aren't actually there aren't any bullets in here. You see, there's no way to tell because the thing has been destroyed. So is the destruction of the doorframe proof that there were bullets in there? I think that's what it comes down to. Is it proof? I don't think so. This photograph, I'm not sure that's proof. And you think the people circling them were mistaken? Yeah. (laughs) You know, right now, that's what I think.
Right. I think a lot of listeners went on this journey with you, and maybe this was a lot of new information, and based on the stuff we presented, said, actually, I, I do believe something really something really happened here. And, and um, maybe some people might have felt duped or that you were saying at the end that I actually don't listen to anything we just said, but um, how do you— no, I mean, this was the journey that I went on, you know? And I looked at this case— very carefully for a long time. And, you know, I saw a lot of evidence that led me to think that there might be a conspiracy. And then I saw a lot of evidence that kind of convinced me there there wasn't. And, and that doesn't mean that I don't, I mean, I feel like I learned a lot, but what I learned was more about kind of how conspiracies can form and how powerful they are um, and, and why people, people believe what they believe. The real question is, how how easy is it to disprove a conspiracy theory? Um, Because people can often find ways to keep believing something they want to believe. Again, Jesse Walker. I think in general, for a conspiracy theory to disappear, what has to happen isn't so much it being disproven as is history moving on and people not caring as much. People suddenly aren't as interested in why someone tried to kill George Wallace. You know, people are still interested in Martin Luther King, obviously, as, although it's not as big as JFK. And then Bobby Kennedy and Malcolm X are a bit uh, lower down the the chain. Malcolm X has the sort of odd position where there was literally a conspiracy. There were multiple gunmen. So it's just a question of, you know, how big a conspiracy was it? That's really what happens. It, it, it's uh, in ter- on a cultural level... It has less to do with things being disproven so much as things being forgotten or shrugged at. It sounds like if if we had this conversation on a different day, you might have some different thoughts or different ideas I know I would and ultimately what you realize is that what Jet Walker is saying is like yeah you never really do we're never gonna we're never gonna prove any of this stuff really no. no it's very slippery and proof is impossible like how what would be proof you know yeah. I mean so it's just sort of feels like grasping at sand you know right. trying to prove any of this stuff Thanks, Jesse. Happy to be here. So psyched to tell everybody about our new project. Which we will be unveiling soon? Yeah, pretty soon. Coming early 2019. New new season of Crime Town Presents. It's not going to be RFK. No related. Kennedys involved. No Kennedys involved. Crime Town is me. Zach Stewart-Pontier and Mark Smerling. The RFK Tapes is made in partnership with Cadence 13. This episode was produced by Jesse Rudoy and Kevin Shepard. Our senior producer is Austin Mitchell. Editing by Mark Smerling. This episode was mixed by Sam Baer. Music by Kenny Kusiak. Additional music by John Kusiak. Hey, we released the score to the RFK Tapes. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, and basically anywhere you listen to music. 
Check it out. Our title track is Maria Tambien by Krungbin. Music supervision by Josh Kessler and Dylan Bostic at Heavy Duty Projects. Archival footage courtesy of the California State Archives. Archival research by Brennan Reese. Our website is designed by Kurt Courtney. Thanks to Emily Wiedemann, Green Card Pictures, Alessandro Santoro, Bill Kleber, and the team at Cadence 13. Hey, if you like the RFK tapes, consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And keep an eye on your feeds. We've got some cool new stuff coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.